Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics, find that Chang Rinpoche. Chapter 40, Part 2. So, what sort of Kandros are we? The girls asked Rukmakundi. Hmm, you're needy and greedy, randy and reckless, frustrated and friendless Kandros. That ain't no way to talk to us. You ain't no gentleman, Mr. Yogi. And with that, they went off in high dudgeon. I was looking quizzical at that point and Rimshe noticed. He grinned at me. Oh, yeah. No need to be concerned about your Kandro. She is most wonderful. She is the most perfect kind of Kandro. What it is, Rinpoche, I mused, is that I'm wondering how this relates to people generally. I realise that this material is visionary. I understand the symbolism. But I'm wondering about how this might work out in everyday situations for men and women. I suppose there must be reflections of the five elemental Kandros in ordinary people. Oh yeah, this can also be seen. There are many circumstances which make men and women suitable and unsuitable for each other. Rinpoche and I talked for a while about the way in which some relationship, relationships seem to damage the people involved, as if two people met the exact person to fuel their neuroses. I told him I'd seen this quite often, but that there seemed little possibility of helping the people involved because they appeared addicted to each other. Rinpoche then concluded the story of Drukpa Kunli. It was long and complex and contained many songs of realisation which would be too technically subtle and complex to relate. Suffice it to say that Drukpa Kunli found Sumchog and conjured with whatever circumstances presented themselves. Sumchog entered retreat after her encounter with Drukpa Kunli and gained non-dual realisation. One reason I tell this story of Drukpa Kunli is because an American woman came here wanting sex with me. She said she'd heard I was a Karma Mudra master. Rinpoche laughed. And so she'd come to have that experience. I told her I was not a prostitute and that she did not have the right qualifications of a Kandro anyway. Still, she came back many times asking. And in the end, I told her to go away. There are many Tom yours now. It is strange now that I ever thought you were a Tom your. Some of these Tom yours are so very, very stupid and self-important that it is most dreadful to see. I feel very sad for them. I was a little shocked by this story especially remembering how it had been when I first met Rinpoche. That's really quite appalling, Rinpoche, I replied. 
I know you always wanted me to be more forthright, but it seems that a lot of people have lost all sense of courtesy, let alone realistic self-assessment. Yeah, there are many Tom yours always. Rinpoche, now that we are speaking about Drukpa Kunli, you were once joking that I could be like Drukpa Kunli in terms of speaking against distortions of Dharma. Oh yeah, I remember in Tsopema we talked of this. Well, I wrote some poetry, as you said I should, and I have some of that poetry with me, if you would like to hear it. It's called Marvellous Not to Have a Bigoted Mind. Oh yeah, maybe Lama Tsering will translate. So I launched in. I had to simplify it somewhat, removing Italian wines, replacing hitman with assassin, and dealing with other untranslatable terms. It sounded more or less like this. Marvellous to attend Buddhist courses and listen to teachings, but with a bigoted mind, teachings are merely collections of complex information delivered in an unusual syntax. Whatever you hear, you'll only have to hear it again and again and write it down in notebooks to which you're never likely to refer. Better go wherever and listening with awareness and kindness at any theatre you please to hear any play with an open heart as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to be vegetarian and to live in a gentle, non-violent manner. But with a bigoted mind, the deer park is emptied through insatiable bloodlust and the meaning of dharma is slaughtered. Every raku bowl of bean sprouts and tofu you devour spills the lifeblood of authentic commitment. Better to eat with gusto and genuinely savour whatever comes your way with awareness and kindness, relishing the prosciutto de parma and pepperoni pizza of perfection, as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to have clear perception, to be mindful and avoid inebriation, but with a bigoted mind, you become intoxicated with the virulent venom of your prurient, pusillanimously puritanical concepts. Whatever the substances are from, from which you abstain, there'll always be something to get uptight about. Better to bathe your brain in the bountiful Barbaresco, Barolo or Brunello of awareness and kindness drinking whatever you're offered by lamas or Vajra brothers and sisters, as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to maintain the Vinaya and to uphold the tradition of the Buddha, but with a bigoted mind, the physical contact from which you abstain shrivels your heart, and you're more or less fucked anyway. Whatever it is you avoid with your hands, tongue, anus or genitalia has already been mentally committed.
better to experience a natural loving relationship and to celebrate the senses with awareness and kindness, delving the sensuous mystery of spacious passion in passionate space, as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to visit Buddhist friends and communicate what you know, but with a bigoted mind, it's just a sallow, excremental excuse to slander other disciples, their lamas and their lineages. Every loathsome sectarian view you express only leaves room for another one to fill its place. Better to sit at home in your own bathroom, on your own toilet, with awareness and kindness, loosening your bowels and emptying your bladder with ease, as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to go to Buddhist centres and participate in sock feasts, but with a bigoted mind, it's just a ritualised method of passing time, eating sugar and starch and getting heartburn. Every time you leave, you only go back again in case there's more backbiting to enjoy or gossip to spread. About people you've never met. Better to have awareness and kindness, to eat steak and sip heavy tannic red wine with an old friend, as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to practice full prostrations together with the recitations of refuge and bodhicitta, but with a bigoted mind, it's merely a tiresome, enervating catalogue of repetitive movements. Every time you get down, you only have to get up again, and then it's just back down again. Better to really get down, or go down, or do whatever you like with awareness and kindness, participating freely with enthusiasm, integrity, and an open mind as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to chant sadhanas of the awareness beings and protectors, but with a bigoted mind, you may as well recite the telephone directory, forwards or backwards, it makes no difference. Even if you occasionally call someone up, no one's going to want to converse with you anyway, because you're just another sales call from samsara. Better to give voice to awareness and kindness, singing blues, or simply listening to the glorious music of life as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to fulfil mantra obligations, reciting a boom for each syllable, but with a bigoted mind, it's merely an obsession with numbers that doesn't add up to much. You may as well just babble. Every Sanskrit word whose mispronunciation you mangle is merely the one before the one that comes after, or something in between. Better employ your tongue in cunning linguistics with awareness and kindness, tasting the nature of bountiful badinage in reciprocity, in reciprocity with others, as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to spend time in the shrine room of one's tradition and to sit silently. But with a bigoted mind, it's merely biding time 
before plunging back into the sleazy frenzy of malicious tea-break gossip-mongering. Every rumour you hear is just another piece of tittle-tattle with which to defile the atmosphere yet further. Better to regale others with whimsy or say whatever comes into your head with awareness and kindness, attempting to bring laughter into the lives of friends and acquaintances as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to spend unmeasured time in the presence of the Lama, but with a bigoted mind, it's merely an opportunity to extract information with which to feed your anal retentive intellect. Every detail you're given only makes you hungry for other versions of precisely the same thing. Better to have a basic level of honesty and reveal your real condition with awareness and kindness, being open, truthful and unreserved in the presence of anyone, as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to acquire extensive knowledge of the outer tantras, but with a bigoted mind, it's merely interminably involved information and recondite terminology that congests your brain. For every category you know, there'll just be another subcategory and subdivision to absorb. Better to see the pattern of delusion or what's in front of your nose with awareness and kindness and to enjoy the presentation of infinitely variegated phenomena display as if for the first time. Marvellous to receive empowerment for practices of inner tantra, but with a bigoted mind, it's merely a way of disguising your neediness with the camouflage of esoteric oriental ritual. Every wang lung tree you receive gives you the opportunity to experience boredom and to break commitments. Better to sit silently without pretensions with awareness and kindness, free to enjoy yourself spontaneously, generously and authentically, as if it were for the first time. Marvellous to receive direct, symbolic and oral transmission of Dzogchen, but with a bigoted mind, it's merely a fatuous, inane waste of time, the ultimate glamorisation of conceit and self-deceit. It does you no good just to sit in the dark with a mind and a mouth like a goddamn shark. Better to own your violence as a hitman or be a regular mensch with awareness and kindness, working at an ordinary job in an accepted way with regular pay, as if it were for the first time. Rinpoche, as the piece was being read, nodded fervently at the sentiments that pleased him, and as it went on, he began to chuckle. By the end, he laughed almost continuously. This, he announced, yeah, this you must translate into Tibetan. You don't think it's too oriented towards people in the West, Rinpoche? Maybe one place. Ritual to Tibetans is not exotic, 
but there is otherwise not much difference. No, maybe I will tell you one last story of Drukpa Kunni, because this has an important meaning. This you will see. Drukpa Kunli arrived in Gyantse at one time and strolled into the middle of town. There was a large churton there and many were performing prostrations. Drukpa Kunli, however, just sat in the sun, admiring the beautiful construction and gazing at the sky. No one paid him any mind, but for a voluptuous young lady who gave him a friendly smile. As he was thus occupied with the sheer pleasantness and perfection of all existence, the gay corps approached him with a scowl that was practically tattooed into his visage. Have you no respect, you worthless beggar? You should be making prostrations like the devout laity and monks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've done with prostrations a long time ago. It's how I spent my childhood. But if you are asking me to offer prostration as a personal favour to you, then I'd be right glad to oblige. So Drukpa Kunli began his prostrations and chanted these lines as he did so. I prostrate to the beautiful rounded belly of the Gyantse maiden, adorned with the circle of emanation. I prostrate to the ample buttocks and curvaceous thighs of the Gyantse maiden, adorned with, it, with the secret lotus circle of bliss. I prostrate to the bountiful beatific breasts of the Gyantse maiden, adorned with circles of manifestation. Drukpa Kunli arose from his third prostration and turned to face the Gekor. Have my prostrations satisfied your need to dominate others with your control freak neuroses? You salacious, depraved pervert! How dare you profane this place with your lecherous litany of lewdness? There's nothing lewd in my litany, laughed Drukpa Kunli. It's merely your perseverant prurience that sees it as such. You seem to be unaware that the greatest lamas in this land arose from the sublime focus of my first prostration. The womb-like nature of Dharmakaya and the belly of the maiden are of the same nature, and every lama was born from such a womb. The miraculous nature of Sambhogakaya and the secret lotus are of the same nature, and every lama was therefore lotus-born. The wish-fulfilling jewels of the breasts are the nimanakaya, and every lama was thus suckled. The glamorous Gyantse maiden is therefore a focus of refuge beyond all others. At this, the gay course strode off in disgust. But the monks, who'd listened to Drukpa Kunli's words, gathered round him and asked for further instruction on the teaching he had given as to the nature of the three spheres of being. Then, right on cue, Khandra Dechen returned with many stories of Maratika.
stories of inspiration. She laughed heartily about sitting in inches of bat guano. But it was worth it, she said. The cave was marvellous. We bade Rinpoche and Jomo Sampel farewell and promised to return. They gave us wonderful parting gifts and we took our leave. A vulture got sucked into one of the engines of the plane on the way out of Kathmandu and we had to land in Frankfurt. We felt sorry for the poor bird, but somehow it didn't feel incongruous. How could any journey involving Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche and Jomo Sampal Dechen end conventionally? <laughs>